We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum Monday Pod. As you guys know, we're doing some last dance recap. And today, I am honored and very, very excited to have my guy on with his uh, Bret Hart sunglasses. (laughs) My guy, Emilio Sparks. Dude, I told you this before we started recording. I am a big fan of yours and your come up. I've been following it for a while. A dude from the five boroughs, New York kid. You know what I'm saying? We got to stay tight-knit. Emilio Sparks, what it do, my brother? What up, kid? Appreciate, man, the invite. I love the show, man. You know, Robbie Fingers put it over huge. I started watching. I started following you on the Twitter. Your daily tweet to Gary V is probably the most inspirational thing in the world because it's like, yeah, come on, Gary, pay attention already. Do it, you know, because he gets an influx of just tweets per second. So it's – yeah. Hopefully he gets an opportunity to see that one day. So, but yeah, man, you know, like work hard, be a good person and know what you're talking about. Know your craft, be a good, just, just be nice. 
It doesn't, it doesn't cost anything. Be a good person, have a good reputation, and good things happen. Yeah, amen to that, man. And with the Gary Vee thing, it's like, bro, I listen to these fucking videos and you, you talk about persistence. I'm like 170 days in. Don't That's be alone. <laughs> it's like you're like Goldberg from the 90s with the streak, man. Yeah. Like This is how it's supposed to be. It'll, it'll come, though. You just got to stay persistent with it, you know? Randomly, he followed me out of nowhere one day. So it was just like, Gary Vee's following you. And I was like, what is going on? What is this? Like, never tweeted him. Now I do, once in a blue moon when I feel inspired or whatever. But, yeah, yeah, he's uh, – he gets it. He understands what the, what the algorithm is and, and how, to, how to pimp the system and, and get his word out there, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it. It, it hits, you know, and, and that's just who he is. He's a hustler. He's, he's a New York dude. He understands, like, what it is to be a New York grinder. And they can take a lot of things away from you. And this is something that, you know, some of the, the wise teachers have told me many, many years ago. Is a lot of people can take a lot of things away from you. But what they can never take away from you is your ability to make money, because you'll always make that, yep. and your ability to think. That's what a real hustler is. They'll never take that away from you. So if you could just continue to push forward and open up your brain in terms of creativity and movement, nobody could ever take away your brilliance. Man, I, shit, you hit on so many points there. I also think just like, I think the common theme with everyone, and maybe you could attest to this, but I also want to save this for a conversation we have another time because there's so much shit I want to pick your brain about. But dude, I think just perseverance, right? Like how many people yeah. have, have you known that kind of, they see you, right? And I think a lot of times what people want to do is they want to see someone that they know be able to do it because then it seems more realistic to them. So then maybe some of your buddies are people that might know you be like, oh, shit, Emilio's doing it. Let me do it. And then they kind of just right loud or they don't have the same drive as you. Because I, I just think really, man, it's very simple. It's just you got to You got to put some grind behind those prayers. I'm not I'm stealing it from someone on Twitter. <laughs> no, it's true. You got you know, to put in the work. You know, Nick, it's funny. Um, I came at a, a crossroads around January and February, right? Where I, I didn't know what I was going to do. What was my next move? And, you know, I got really burnt out from doing a couple of things. And I just felt like the creative juices were sucked out of me. And, you know, more, more personal downfalls than professional. Professional, I was, I was riding high to a certain degree. But, you know, personally, it was just so chaotic and all over the place that I needed to separate myself from everything that I, I was doing. And, you know, I prayed on it, I meditated on it. And it just so happens that it's like, okay, well, you shouldn't settle. You should grind and continue doing what you were doing. Because what you have been doing, which is your ability to think and which is your ability to produce and your ability to speak, got you to your dream job. So now you have to figure out how to either get back there or how to go on to something else that can bring you the same passion and the same, whew, all right, I don't have to settle and take a job doing something I didn't want to do. And that was the big thing. You know, I was sitting before the Christmas break. I'm sitting in this, this room, this waiting room to do this thing, right? And... I hyped it up in my head like, yeah, I'm going to do this. This is where I got to be now. You know, this other part of my life is over. It's time to 
to change and it's time to turn a new leaf. And I'm sitting there. And then that little voice in my head says, get up and get out of here. This is not for you. This is not the environment you need to be in. This is not where you're thriving. You don't feel good being here. So why are you even here? Get up, go home. And that's what I did. And, and, and it was the best advice that, that I can give myself. Now, I don't know if that's God. I don't know if that's the universe. Whatever, whatever you're into was this little voice inside of me. Told me, get up and get the hell going. Get on. And that's what I did. And then the quarantine happens and you get locked down and you're suffering from, you know, anxiety and depression over certain things. And you're like, all right, well, how do I, how do I counteract what's going on? Because we all carry around these boulders of lies, right? Mm. That we tell ourselves, no, we're not good enough. You can't do this. This person's better than you. That person's better than you. Look at the position that they're in. And a lot has to do with social media. A lot has to do with what you see on the news. Everything is necessarily is in gold on, on Instagram. So, you know, I sat back and this quarantine happened and I took five days of just pure silence. I did a silence retreat in my house. Shut my phone off. Hmm. Shut my, no TV, no nothing. Just books, just meditation and breath work because I was reading about Win Hof breathing. Hmm. And it was, it was through the meditation that I was allowed to reset everything in my body. And then once I reset, I was like, all right, it's off to the races. Let's go. You know, I needed that five days of silence in quarantine where it's just me and my thoughts and learning to, to necessarily breathe properly because a lot of us don't know how to breathe. We breathe because it's a natural thing. You don't breathe, you die. But to really sit there and physically breathe and do the deep belly breathing and concentrate on the breathing and focus on the breath, like everybody gets a twist. Like meditation is this thing. You've got to silence your brain. No, 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 no. It's not silencing your brain. It's listening for the answers in which you seek. It's kind of like if you're, if, if you're devout in your religion and you pray to your God and you listen for the answer. That's what it was. I could go on for hours to tell you about <laughs> personal versus professional and right, the, right. the demons I had to go to. Uh, you know, one thing for me, man, that has w really worked out is uh, just talking about it. And it's something that's so simple. Like I've had some of my buddies be like, yo, why are you putting all that stuff out there in your personal life? It's like, dude, this is my version of therapy. I feel right. fantastic when I get to talk about these things because Dude, I was sitting in a room similar to you where I was, I was going to become a police officer from Nassau County. Mm. And then I got, I got one speeding ticket, did a 70 and a 50, coming home on the Grand Central. And that shit cost me like $25,000 of my own money trying to fight it with a lawyer to get the case overturned and to get put back into the academy. And before you know it, dude, I'm getting chills just thinking about it because what you yeah. were saying, I was like, oh my God, I'm, it's like I'm talking to myself right now because i was sitting in a room and i was just like yo what am i doing here i don't even want to do this shit because they also right. told me that i can't be on the internet i can't do all this stuff can't have a podcast so i was like yo you're giving me an ultimatum and i don't like those situations emilio i'm not a, a don't put me to right yeah like that you know like that's kind of not my thing and then lo and behold you know it it was just something that I had to do. And I couldn't agree with you more about the shutdown shit because I did that too, bro. I do that like, I usually do it between Christmas and New Year. 
because right. it's that dead period. There's not many sports going on for the most part. Like the NFL is kind of just like, you know, who's going to be in the playoffs and shit. And like it's regular season stuff. So kind of just shut down. And then I start the new year fresh. But for the most part, man, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. I do want to, uh, you know, I do a series called Podcast and Chill, which is basically just open forum storytelling. You know, the rest yeah. of the man in me, as you can see, the little wolf <laughs> yeah. pack. Great. So, so that's, that's something we could definitely dive into in, in a future episode, man. Cause again, I could, I don't know what your time restraints are, but I could keep you on for hours. just going back. And forth. <laughs> but dude, yeah, I, I, one of the, one of the cool things that is the, you know, you mentioned social media and I think one of the coolest things about social media is one, the connections you can make us to now doing a show and me as a, as a fan of yours, being able to talk to you is also, we could do some moving around where we, we, forced the hand of ESPN and had them bump up this last dance special. Yeah. I supposed to come out in the summer. Now with quarantine, they need live content. We want live content before we get into part seven and eight, my guy, how have you been enjoying this last dance stuff? And you're, you're a, a little older than me. So I feel like you were able to take in MJ better than I was. Oh yeah. I was, I was six in 90. So okay. that's when it's that's when it started. I, I have an uncle that's only twelve years older than me. Uh-huh. So he was like my big brother and he put me on to, you know, wrestling and basketball and football and New York Yankees baseball. You know what I mean? So well, I, I don't I, know. Probably. I'm I, sorry, that's my mother. She was asking nah, me it's nah, raining well, out. Happy uh, happy Mother's Day to Mrs. Sparks. A late happy <laughs> Mother's Day. But uh, at least your uncle made the right decision and made you a Yankee fan. Me, unfortunately, yeah. I'm a Met fan. My entire family is Yankee fans, so I fucked up, bro. Hey, man, that's the tr- that's the path you chose, man. <laughs> so if it wasn't for Uncle Mike, I don't think I would I would have all these interests. Dude, my, and... my uncle my uncle's name is Mike too. That's pretty funny. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> Maybe it has to be a Mike thing, you know. And and we would watch you know basketball together, and and then on my own accord, if it was on TV. You know, I would just, I knew what channel it was always on. It was always on NBC. So I would just, mm-hmm. I know that that was channel four in, in New York. So I put it on and I would just pay attention. You know, if you would see Chicago Bulls on the TV, you, you yeah. knew, okay, this is what's going to go on. And it was Jordan, man. And it was the first three. And, you know, you don't understand the game. Mm-hmm. You don't at six years old. And I've never, I've never played a professional sport, you know, um, but I was always into watching Michael Jordan and there was just such, it's like watching Ric Flair. It's like watching the rock. It it was like seeing macho man, Randy Savage. He's this larger than life Superman. And he was just greater than great. And he would do things that his contemporaries couldn't do. And at the time there was Isaiah, there was magic. There was Larry, you know, obviously, you know, you had the gods being the gods, but, Mike was different, you know, Mm. he wasn't an ISO ball player. And, you know, you saw the thing like the triangle. And as a kid, I just knew that, oh, wow, that's what you should do. You should pass the ball to your teammate and whoever's open is going to take the shot and, you know, try to always get it back to the better player. So the better player could, could, you know, score essentially. So watching Jordan early on, I was just, I was just all in. And plus, you know, how can you not like black and red? It's probably mm. the greatest color scheme in the world, you know? And Bro, how much research have you done on me? Because, like, same uncle, 
same uncle name i mean red and black is is yeah. like my favorite color scheme too my chair is red and black i'm loving it yeah loving it. yeah no nah, but you're so right you, though i agree with you and there was nobody none greater and you know the first three you're young so you really don't understand you just know that okay you know you you, you hear your uncle talk to his his boys because we lived together for a little bit and you would see them they would just talk you know and it's like, all right, cool. This is what it's supposed to be. You know, he suffered two big defeats with, you know, the, the Pistons. And it's mm-hmm. like now it, it, it's time for, for him to do what he is supposed to do, take his rifle spot on the Mount Rushmore of basketball, you know. And, and then you would see the hard work and the dedication pay off. And, you know, they would say, I don't think he can do it. You know, similar to what they would said when LeBron first started. Oh, he's right. not going to be able to do it. You know, he can, he's only um, a regular season guy. He's not going to step it up for the, for the postseason. But then, you know, that magical thing happens. They get over the hump of whatever it is, and everything clicks, and the planets align, and then you get on this, this dominant three-championship run. Then he takes a little break. Obviously, we'll get into that. And then he comes back, and now you're a little bit older, right? Now mm. you're like 10, 11. And now you're really starting to understand the foundation of what basketball is and who Michael Jordan is and why Scottie Pippen is such an integral part of Michael Jordan's complete, just complete package and how good that team is when they replaced Horace Grant with Dennis Rodman. So it's like, mm, this is great. Okay. And then you had Rodman being the man that he was and you're watching him on WCW and he's wrestling guys like Carl Malone and he's taking bumps against guys like, Scott Steiner, and yeah. he's going out there and playing a game either the day after or the day before, and then he's popping up wherever WCW is. So you're like, this doesn't get any better than that. And then you get, you, then you fast forward 20 years later, and you get this documentary, yeah. and you're like, all right, I got to sit and watch this whole thing because now I got to know the story. What is the story? And the parallels between how they're talking about the first three and the last three are super impressive to me. Nah. And it has to be, it has to be a Jordan story. It, right. Yes. You have everybody on the team and there's all this internal nonsense, but without Jordan, you get nothing. It's like what Ghostface said. He's the Osiris of this shit. Yeah. So that's what Jordan is. That's a Wu-Tang reference for some of you young bucks that might not know Staten Island's finest. But dude, how do you, how do you feel about the, the jumping around? Cause I've been enjoying it. Cause I think that that helps really dissect the Jordan persona where they show you some shit that happened to him in high school and then how that is popping up in 1998. And then like, you know, the famous scene when Phil Jackson tells him, yo, Paxson's open. And then he starts trusting his teammates. But that's also when Dean Smith back in college, he let him take that shot as a freshman. Just because you're a freshman doesn't mean you could take that shot. And they had Worthy on the team at the time. How you feel about the jumping around? Because I know some some of my buddies have been conflicted on that. I like the way linear and nonlinear stories are told, mm. and and with this, this is a completely linear story. Every action has a reaction. Every every thought process that we have, whether it's good or bad, has a consequence. Whether it's an adverse or whether it's you know the one that's going to lead us to the promised land. So to sit there and watch the storytelling where it goes to Dean Smith and then years later, fast forward to Paxton, it, everything tells a story. 
And it's all about how you edit it and how you tell that story. Think of it like pro wrestling. Everything has an arc and what it builds up to. Yep. So that was the big blow off for that moment where it's like, that's the big eureka moment of the episode where everything comes together. You know, it's, it's, it's always like one of those plot lines where something wacky happens to let's say Rick and Morty. And then you have Jerry running off doing uh, a second adventure, but then somehow towards the end where it's all going to be wrapped up into a pretty package, it all comes together and every storyline intersects and comes in and that's how you, you finish it off. So I think that, I think the editing has been very, very good. I think the storytelling has been a, a big, big cohesion and a continuity to the, to the whole documentary. So yeah, and that's how it should, it, that's how it should yeah. play out, you know, cause yeah. there's things from his past that connect to his, immediate which will later on down the line be explained in the future yeah no i couldn't agree with you more on that and and there's one thing that i I feel like wrestling fans always say is that everything is wrestling and i think this documentary is also showing you the mj as a baby face right and then once you start winning bro no matter what it is in your life once you become a winner right like drake said people like you more when you're reaching towards your goals than when you have it yeah i butchered that line but MJ too, man. MJ comes in and he's the baby face and then he starts winning and then these stories come out with the gambling stuff and, you know, how cruel he is to teammates and then he kind of turns heel and then he leaves the sport and then he comes back and he makes his baby face run again. So I do think, and you have Jerry Krause, who's like the ultimate bad guy, right? How do you, you get a generational talent like MJ, which is another thing, like the Bulls were crap, which was something that I knew about, but I didn't know how bad they really were prior to getting MJ. It's like, bro, you don't play around with something like that. You run that into the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they did. Right. But it was also when they started winning was when the fuckery really started to happen, though. Well, that's also when now you're starting to make a boatload of money and you don't want to spend a boatload of money to keep the players happy. You know, I think they were. I think their payroll was, was really, really limited. You know, Um, Reinsdorf was not big into paying max money and would have buyers remorse for certain, for certain things, you know, look at the way he ran his baseball team, you know, and, and the way that they won in 2005, you know, they, they won with like one of the lowest payrolls in the MLB at that, at that point, you know, and they moved stadiums three times because, you know, of, of sponsorship money, you know, um, whereas a guy like a George Steinbrunner, he would put mad money into his team because he knew that money wins championships and you got to get certain players who are the key component. Now, whether or not they sign, you know, two year, three year, five year max deals, whatever he knows for, if they can get them to the promised land, then it's they're good. It. They're, they're good. And it's funny, too, because before Jordan comes in there, George Steinbrenner was part of a, um, an investment group that owned the Chicago Bulls. And I, would have, I was thinking about that last night, and I was thinking to myself, well, damn, could you imagine if George stayed on, what would the interactions between George and Michael would have been like? I think they probably would have been two peas in a pod. And I think with George's checkbook, I think the Bulls probably could have even been even more of a dynasty. Dominant of a yeah. dynasty. Yeah, where maybe they could have won two chips without Mike. 
Yeah. And I think that's what Jerry wanted to, or the Jerry's at that point. I think Reinsdorf was just like, all right, you do what you got to do with the team. You're a scout. Let's all drink the Kool-Aid because you're moving these integral parts in and out. You know what I mean? You know, out comes Horace Grant, in comes, you know, Dennis Rodman, out comes, you know, Will Purdue, in comes, you know, Luke Longley. You know, like all these yeah. different, like all these pieces were coming out. You know, Charles Oakley out, you know. Like in comes, you know, um, whoever, you know, yeah. it's, it's even, just a matter like, of like Paxson and Kerr too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, let's just continue to change, you know, like let's change our centers, you know, let's move bill bill now wins three, but then we're going to make bill a coach. Okay. Now let's bring in, you know, um, that big tall Canadian some bitch. You yeah, know, and let him Willington, yeah. Willington. Let yeah. Willington come in and now it's like, all right, great. So now we have this guy. All right, cool. So now it's like, you know, let's let's see what we can get for not max money, but you know, for little money to see how we and the formula paid off not once but six times. Yeah. So I can understand what Jerry's thinking is, but also at the same time too, you have Michael Jordan, you know, and he did something that probably won't get done ever again you know winning three back to back twice twice that'll, that'll never happen again so you got to give him the money that he was making and he wasn't making max money jordan became a billionaire because of his shoes 20 years later yeah yeah and also like yo they struck gold with the pippin contract like every you talk about it in the nfl all the time how do these teams benefit the most when they find like pat mahomes is making six million dollars a year pat mahomes is a blank checkbook guy like you're right. the owner, if you're if you're the Hunt family, like yo, here you go, fam. Whatever you want, no problem. Yeah, but it also comes with the pl- with the key players too. You have to have the right. Pl- you have to have the right players. That's why the Patriots were always so dominant for so long. Whether or not you agree or disagree with like Spy Gates and all this other nonsense, the Patriots knew when to keep a player, when to release mm-hmm. a player, when to trade a player. You know, and always you centered it around. Tom Brady and then whatever tools you have to give him at his disposal to win. So you always keep it Jordan and now you start moving them around. Well, you got to keep Scotty now because Michael doesn't want to play without Scotty right. because whatever you feel about Scotty Pippen in this, whether it was egotistical, whether it was, he was in Jordan shadow and maybe he felt that he needed to come out of Jordan shadow. Well, then we got to keep him around because he, he and Jordan work very, very well together. You know, like they, they need each other. They feed off each other. You know, Scotty was always, Scotty was always there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he essentially created the role that we see now with certain players, you know, with how good he is. So, you know, you need those core guys. And I think what Jordan leaving gave Scotty this um, opportunity to now it's your team. Yeah. Now you got to be the man. But now the spotlight's on you. Now the pressure's on you. Could you handle it? Do you want that type of spotlight where it's now it's your team, but here also comes the responsibilities. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. You can sit back and watch, you know, second or third party and watch Mike do what he has to do. And it's always the three ring circus around Mike because he's Mike. Mm -hmm. Now Mike is gone and now it becomes you and you're coming off a championship winning season. And now you're running high and you're really playing great ball at that point. But then the second season without Mike starts to happen. And it's like you're not playing as good now. And now everybody starts to figure out where the weaknesses are and how 
to really counteract what that bull's magic was at that point. Now the responsibility is slowly falling on Scotty's shoulders to rally and pick up the team. And, you know, that's when he, you know, one of the things that I was, I was shocked about well, a couple of things. Cause again, I didn't, I didn't realize these things picking this up cause I was so young at the time when his doc was, I was so young during, during yeah. the actual happening that it was like, Oh, I didn't know he sat out cause he had a headache and I didn't know he sat out because Kukosh wouldn't uh, cause the, the play was designed for Kukosh. Dude, I'm glad you brought that up because that's been a common theme in this whole thing. Remember Rodman, when Pippen was out and he had to be his role expanded to being the number two guy. Yeah. Rodman was like, yo, I need a vacation because that burden of being the number two guy to Mike was so big. And now you saw it with Scotty when he had to be Mike, which no one could ever be Mike, but him having to be the man and the pressure and the leadership and having to address the media and all that stuff that comes with you being the alpha. That was too much for Scotty. And I think that's why that the most iconic shot that you'll ever see of Scotty Pippen ever, and this probably – it won't define his career playing-wise, but I think it defines his media career, is he kicks up the Jordan 10 and he, and he, and he yeah, you know, yeah, does yeah. the come hither motion, come back. I think that really defines it as like, yeah, you know what? Come home, bro. I, I, yeah. I need you. You know, we need you. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things. That's how I see it. Who do you think suffers the biggest L from what we saw last night? Is it the gambling? Gary Payne? Oh, all right. So there it is. I was <laughs> going to say the people that thought that Stern and the gambling theorists out there that got MJ out the league or Gary Payton. And I was going to agree with you on Gary Payton. It's definitely Gary Payton. I think the, the, <laughs> I think the gambling theories, first off, they're – too much time has passed and you could really go in and investigate. And now that David Stern is no longer on this earth, you can really um, figure out certain things and try to put those pieces together. And mm. it, it, you know, it's just not there. Yeah. It's just not there. Um, did Jordan have a gambling problem? Uh, who's, I can't say you can't say only person I can see has a gambling problem, whether or not is Michael Jordan. And it looks like he's sitting in the lap of luxury, so I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, yeah, you know, no problem there. yeah, I don't think he's selling his <laughs> rings. Um, I just think it was in the, an unfortunate set of circumstances that here you are, the biggest superstar, the biggest icon on the planet at that time, right? I don't think he gets any bigger than Michael Jordan. Think about it. Like, I don't think it. You have Mickey Mouse, Michael Jordan, and Michael Jackson. I think those are the biggest you know, pop culture icons at that time. It gets, it gets none bigger, right? Yeah. And, and who's bigger than, than Michael Jordan in sports? You couldn't name a bigger athlete or just somebody with star power. And I think, like, you know, even if you put him up to who's more recognizable if you see them on the street at that time, Michael Jordan or Al Pacino, Michael Jordan's going to have a bigger, a bigger crowd come around him. You know, yeah. so you could take the biggest actor or actress of that time and put them in the middle and they're going to this fanfare is going to happen. I guarantee you. And this is you, you. Listen, you could tweet me about this one. You drop Jordan and The Rock together. Now, Jordan's getting a bigger crowd around him than The Rock. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks.
We're currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you could bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. They're all open 24 hours a day and all online. BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. You know, put out a video on the Instagram, Instagram.com slash Veterans Minimum, and Instagram.com slash The Lamb Show. Talking about value, kind of gave you guys Francis Nagano minus 125 to finish the fight via TKO and knockout. And if you bet that, congrats, winner, winner. And also my boys over at Full Slate Pod, I told them that I loved Cater and Stevens at plus 190. All those odds, you could have put those on these bet online Props, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to Ben Online, man, helping us out. And of course, I'm really looking forward to this one for many, many reasons. Guys, if you're looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, who isn't? Get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the very first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level, an elite level, some would say. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. No dick, no hope. As you guys know, that is one of the models of life for you guys that are listening. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't got to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost. And once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Gotta love discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when using the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 for the shipping. And again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Big shout-outs to the members of the Patreon. Daniel Gibson, Corey Johnson Hoops, Christopher Velasquez, Ryan Pisner, Derek Pleates, and Nick Chavez. Your contributions to the show are not going unnoticed. I want every single one of you, when you're listening to this episode, to slide into my DMs. Hopefully, you're doing it ankle first. I'm going to send you guys something. The members of the Patreon that I just mentioned their name, I'm going to send you something for the continued support for the show on a different level from everyone else. And I know I've slacked off on some of these reads and whatnot. Just got a lot of shit going on, but it doesn't mean that I should ignore the OGs and the real legends out there. So... If you heard your name in this read, congrats and hit me up. Because that's just how big Jordan is. And there was nobody bigger than Mike at the time. So I think, you know, you have the unfortunate circumstances of his father's murder and passing, right? Right. And, yo, let's be honest. Like, you've ever had a long, a long trip? And you want to just pull over and rest your eyes for a little while? Like we've all, maybe we've all done it. Maybe we've all thought about it. You know, yeah, I can't yeah, tell you how many times when I was on 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 loops or whatever, driving, my eyes would get sleepy, and if I didn't pull over to like a gas station and, you know, 
whatever have like Bro, one of my friends yeah not even not even long loops dude i i wake up at 245 in the morning under normal circumstances for work and on days when i would have to drive into manhattan then come home in long right. island then go back right. into a story to record the podcast then come back home i'm driving back home at like 11 11 30 it's about a 30 35 minute ride back home and bro i'm i'm dozing off i've pulled over because i'm like yo i i'm gonna crash if i don't pull over right now so i definitely feel you on that yeah man and then you know and then you have you know scummy dudes that see a lexus in the middle of nowhere and you know they do what they do and you know it's just it's it's just a really sad thing and it's an unfortunate thing. And, you know, so then I understand the, the relationship between Michael and his father. And it's just like, yeah, you see it, you know, every photo, every video, you know, they were, they were together at the hip and, you know, Michael is, you, you always want to have that great relationship with your dad, whether you have it or not. And I think the, the connection that they had was more than just, father and son it, it was it was best friends you know yeah. i think a lot of us can say yeah we got dads but are our dads our best friends eh, not necessarily you know but michael and his dad they did everything together and you could tell like the jordan family unit is family over everything and that that, that that's highlighted in the doc and that's what i like like there was like it's the family unit like his mother is saying no go to nike take the meeting listen to what take yeah. the meeting listen to what they say because you might benefit from this or, you know, the having his father as his counsel, you know, in every little step of his career, I think shapes Michael Jordan to the man that he is. So you see that and it's like, okay, now I understand. And then last night you saw how he broke down. Well, that's what I was, I was going to get to dude. Cause uh, like Jordan got so many moments that are just etched in stone. And we've seen that photo of him crying so many times, but to hear the audio to it, dude, that's the first time I ever heard it. Emilio, Same. I never, I never heard that. And that was like, damn, I got a little choked up. I was like, yo, and on father's day too, I saw, uh, I was talking to one of my buddies and he said that MJ threw those two games in Seattle so they could win on father's day. <laughs> Cause they were up three Oh, and then they came back, you know, but uh, yeah, man, that was the first time that we saw the audio. A lot of first times when you're watching this, this uh, entire series so far, but with the weeping man and just hearing them was crazy. Well, you know, that's, but also you hear it with the story and I think context is everything. So now you right. get the opportunity to hear the man tell his story because it is his story yeah. and you, you get to see it match up with the audio. And now for, you know, eight, episodes now you're seeing the connection to him and his dad mm-hmm. so now it's now it's really hitting close to home because you're watching it and every time he talked about his father his eyes were very glassy with tears so it just it just it shows and it's, i think it was very impactful to see and it, and it makes you realize the important dynamic if you have that with your dad to you know call them right then and there and yeah. be like, I love you, you know? So yeah, yeah no, it, it's, it's crazy, man. Such good storytelling in that whole entire thing. We started, we started this conversation off with uh, the biggest L's and you mentioned Gary Payton. Dude, how, how gangster was that reaction by MJ just looking at the iPad and then just laughing when he said that I had Mike? Yeah, yeah. We know you didn't. 
You did not. You didn't that's, have Mike. The coolest thing about that was because that's some shit you would say with your boys. You know, like right. I had you. And your reaction to that would be like, yo, come on, man. You had no chance. And then just the way he just reacted to that was MJ just it's, catching another body 20, 30 years later. Years later. It's funny, too, <laughs> because for a while I was producing uh, at Sirius and I had the opportunity to produce the Gary Payton show, which was on oh, shit. Uh, Jamie Foxx's channel on Foxhole. And, and it was like, I wish I knew or I wish the documentary would drop then when I was working for Gary, because I would have asked, I'm like, yo, Gary, we got to talk about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. it was, yeah, but Gary's a cool guy, man. Gary, Gary was real cool. Gary was real cool. I, I think another cool thing that this documentary has been doing, despite them not being able to get over the Jordan hump, like you saw last week, all the love that Barkley was getting. Like some people have forgotten some of these players, just how good they really were. Right. You know, and I think that's the good thing about this documentary as well. It's a time capsule to how good and how different the NBA was then as opposed to it is now. Yeah. Like you even give me a guy like KJ. I remember him and in Vogue had that really dope Converse commercial, you know, where it's like the sun and they're on the sun and the sun's coming up over like this yeah. rocky cliff and they're in space and he's just running and dribbling this like meteor type basketball looking thing. And, you know, just the whole marketing to NBA, just the whole marketing to basketball. It was, it was more than what it is. It's changed now. It, yeah, it was always big business, but now it's even bigger business and, like, extremely personal brand for the superstar. That's what I think stems from the MJ era, though, where he was the first one to really be his own brand. Right. Where now it's like, Paul. I, I, I like Paul George, but... Paul George got his own sneaker line. Kyrie got his own sneaker line. Obviously, Kobe. But now there's just, like, Giannis just got his own sneaker line. Where right, back right, then right. it was, bro, everyone was wearing Jordans. Like, how can you go and compete against someone when you're wearing his own clothes? Like, that had to be something mentally that he had over them, too. Well, yeah, oh, there had to be. It was, he took Nike, which was essentially a running shoe at that point. Yep. And then, and then made it this global icon to what it is, you know? Like it was night, it was the Jordan and it was the Air Force One. You know, first it was the AF one, the uptown. Mm. You know, it started to sell. And then Jordan really solidified that we could move from running shoes to actual basketball shoes and high performance sneakers. You and know, then, and then came the just the everyday life, just like this shit just looks dope to wear. Exactly, where it yeah. becomes fashionable over go. the functionality of the shoe. You know, like he yeah. even said it in his, in, and I forget in like one of the early episodes where he talks about his his feet were bleeding when he re put on his original pair of Chicago ones. And those shoes, let's be real, they're pretty shoes, right? But you cannot do anything in yeah. those sneakers. They're, they're very rough. flat. They're very yep. flat. They're very rough. To me, the the most perfect sneaker in the world will always be the Jordan Three. And I have so many pairs of the same one and different ones. You know, I'll always go when they retro them. I'll always get my, the fires and I'll always get the cements. So every time they retro them, because those are just my two favorite sneakers of all time. So I have like three pairs upstairs now just sitting on ice. If I don't want to wear them. But, um, but yeah, again, it, it, when does it become fashionable over the function? And that, that could be explained for a lot of things. You could talk about music. You could talk about pro wrestling. You could talk about other sports as well where, you know, there's a, there's a fashionability over the function of certain things and how they market certain things. So, 
you know, um, Michael created the, the, the fashion aspect of, of a basketball shoe being a status symbol more than anything else. I wanted the Shaquille O'Neal's with the CO2 cartridge. I, you know, those were the sneakers back in, in, in junior high school where everybody wanted those and only a select few could get them, you know? And again, it was all about, you had those shoes, you had the juice. It was, it's all about status symbol, you know? And, and I think that's what the hysteria in which Jordan created Gatorades and McDonald's was always a big thing, but my, McDonald's partners with Michael and Gatorade partners with Michael and the Minute Maid partners with Michael and Wheaties partners with Michael and Hanes, a simple t-shirt, you know, company partners with Michael. So now you're having all these, these different brands coming out and paying boatloads of money to Michael. And you're like, well, I need, I need to have Wheaties in the morning. I need to wear Jordan sneakers from, from Nike. Uh, my undershirt should be Hanes, and yeah. I'm I'm gonna drink Gatorade to perform. I like Mike. It's, it's yeah. So that's where like the synergy and the the cool factor comes in when you know you see these things. You know, Edward Bernays, the godfather of advertising, really really is the one that really put it together with name association with this thing. So bacon and eggs, synonymous with breakfast. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, and you can list several different things that Michael Jordan is synonymous with. So it's cause and effect. It, it's um, a mental reaction thing. So you automatically know Jordan, sneaker, got to buy. Kanye, mm -hmm. sneaker, got to buy. You know? Yeah. Breakfast, um, bacon and eggs. Breakfast, Wheaties. Breakfast, Cheerios. You know, like, so it's always this word association thing. Like, you know, like you, you can even look at it like from a lexicon and, and the syntax of certain things. So it's just like, well, why do they call it a rose? Well, we don't know why they call it a rose, but it's a rose. And that's what you automatically associate it with. Why is this thing called an orange? It smells like an orange, tastes like an orange, but what the hell really is orange? Yeah. So it's just a matter of just brand recognition and name recognition. So, Dude, the game of basketball changed so much. There was a finals game ended 89-78. Imagine if right. that shit happened now, you'd say that's one of the worst basketball games of all time. Would we, though? Would we? Well, I think now every, every sport tries to – there's something that they say in sports betting where no one ever likes to bet the under because it's boring, right? Right. People want – you know, you go to a bar, you don't want to see a 10-7 football game if you're a casual. You want to see – that Rams Chiefs game on Monday Night Football where they put up 100 points and you want to see touchdowns <laughs> and you want to see crazy shit like that. Uh, same thing with, with all sports. Like in hockey, they shrunk the pads of the goalies because they wanted more goals. They do all these things to get more scoring because scoring to the general public makes it more appealing and it makes it funner. So maybe someone... I'm, I'm a fan personally of a 17-10 football game where it's a slobber knocker to reference the good old JR and it's yeah. an offensive battle. Like I'm a fan of that, but I could see why people would say it's boring. So I think nowadays, if you were to see a game end 87, 79, you would think it's a, it's a terrible game. But on the flip side, if you're into defense, which a lot of the nineties was big on defense. Right. And also, you know, with the hand checking and whatnot and the threes, like MJ hit five threes in a, in a finals game. And that was an NBA record. Clay and Curry do that in a quarter now. In a quarter, yeah, yeah. So that's where I think the game has changed the most. And from watching this, because you always, us being New Yorkers, the Knicks, like we always hear about the 90s Knicks, and people always say how those teams were so good. And 
you go and you look at some of these highlights and some of the scores and they're in the eighties. And if they got into the nineties, they're like, Oh man, it's an offensive slugfest now. Well, I also think that we live in an ADD culture now where, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Where, you know, we're so inundated with the metadata coming off of our phones that, you know, it, it has to be sensationalized rather quickly or it's not good at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I rather watch old games from the 90s because I'm going to enjoy a slower paced game to an extent, nothing crazy, but more of a defense driven game, you know? And where it, it's more about how to get the shot off instead of just taking a shot. And if, if you look at the game today, right, a lot of bricks are still thrown. Right. So you can, you can shoot from outside and try to be a three-point shooter, right? Uh-huh. It ain't going to click sometimes. Or you create a really good defense – which can help you drive to the hole. Mm. And you know what? You get a layup. You know, it's yeah. all about the it's all about the flash now. It's all about well, we gotta shoot these buckets because these buckets are what's gonna attract fans. And then the kids are gonna watch. They're gonna invest in the money. They're gonna tell their parents they need this shoe, they need this jersey, they wanna play this video game. Mm-hmm. And that's what's gonna have our next our our next crop of fans. That's why baseball next- is up. And that's why baseball suffers because baseball is still a slower paced, slower scoring game. And it's more for the old timers and maybe cats like our age now, but we appreciate it because we understand long ball over short ball. Right. But ain't no 15 year old who doesn't play is going to sit there and watch long, long ball baseball. No, they want to see homers crack off. Yep. You know? So the same thing goes for what the NBA is doing. The same thing, why now you'll you rather watch professional wrestling and see a hundred falsies and thirty eight super kicks and you know a couple of Canadian destroyers because that's where the narrative of our attention span goes now. You want the pop. Exactly. It's all about the pop. Yeah. It's not about the slow build to get there yeah. and to actually like have the, cli- the the climax. You go back and you watch some of those buzzer beaters that they've been showing on the last dance. You're in it still. You're like, whoa, this is yeah. amazing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like could, could you, in recent memory, tell me what's had the same impact in modern NBA basketball? It's very few and far in between. It's, it's hard because I think the, the one downfall to the three-pointer is, well, it's a gift and a curse, right? Because if you're down 20 back in the 90s, it was a wrap. Now right. it's like I hit three shots. I've cut it to 10. Or not back in, back and I'm in. back in, and shit. I always talked about this with these warrior teams, bro. There's never been a team to erase 15 point deficits like them. Oh, then, well, again, that team is just a special team, though. Right? I mean, look they're, who, they're look, a who, look, team. look who their head coach is. He was a shooting specialist. That's why he right. was there for so. That's why he was in Chicago for as long as he was, and that's why he would get his hands on the ball. He would he would rarely miss. Right. Yeah. You know, and then he became a front office guy, successful too, and. His thing with the Spurs. Yeah, no, you're right, though. You're right. And, it, and it's easy for you to want to say that you want to run a triangle offense or, or play like the Warriors, but you didn't have Mike. And you didn't have the Splash Brothers, which are unique talents and generational talents that allow you to also do that. Well, look at the learning tree 
that Steve Curry's been under. Greg Popovich and Phil Jackson. So now, if you watch Pop and you watch Phil, you see two completely different styles. Right. And then when you watch Kerr, it's a combination of the two. Mm. And you sit there and you're like, wow, he gets it. He's going to take from column A and column B and make his own unique coaching. And I think that's why they won the three that they did at just this monstrous pace that they did too. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, that those, those, you know, those warrior teams, they got to be in the top, in the top 10, maybe in the top five of, of all time greatest NBA teams. Yeah. They have to, because the body of work and the resume is there, man. So, So to see that, and now you understand the learning tree, and, and he knows the importance of good defense, but he also knows the importance of not doing iso ball. And I think, you know, why players like Carmelo didn't work in New York when Phil was trying to work the, the triangle here is because it, there is a lack of, well, I've always played this way, so now mm. you, can't, you can't change me. I'm an iso ball player. You know, Jordan, yeah. Jordan got it out of his head real quick. Okay, it can't be about me no more. Because Jordan was a heavy iso ball player. But now you're throwing this thing around, and now it's like you're trying to, as the opposing team, trying to like, all right, well, ooh, this is the constant rhythm and the constant influx of play. Now you're creating your openings and you're going. The triangle still works. The Warriors are – now, they're not going to really sit, come right out and say it's a triangle. But, you know, if you watch some of the – you go back and watch those three championship teams. There is a lot of triangle in it. There's a lot know. of triangle going. Yeah. And you have to cut your ego down and just know, like, okay, this is, what it, this is what it's designed to do. And it's designed to get us open to make the shots that we need at clutch situations if you have the Splash Brothers to do so. And that's why I think it works. So in, in theory, the triangle still works. You just need players that are willing to check the ego to do the play. There was a clip of Kerr talking to KD during the finals. And he actually brings up the story of MJ with Phil Jackson with the Paxson shot that we saw a couple of episodes prior. And it's cool to be able to see like where that came from which is mm. one of my favorite parts about this doc. Dude, as we wind down, because I've kept you long enough, there's just a, a couple, of, uh, couple of more things I want to touch on. Speaking on Kerr, I think one of the, the, the lasting images of these last two episodes we saw was the infamous fight that he had with MJ. Right. You know, and dude, MJ is... The biggest takeaway, I think, from this whole thing is that he's, uh, he's a unique breed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, They'll, they'll never be anyone like that. I've already watched the last 90 seconds of episode seven where he talks like, yo, I wanted to win. And if you weren't down with that, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is what I wanted to do. Was I a tirade? Yeah. And then he, and then he calls for break. Like, dude, they kept saying, MJ even said right before this started how people are not going to like me after this. Yo, Emilio, I still haven't found a moment where I'm like, yo, I dislike Michael Jordan. Yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> like, if anything... My love for Michael Jordan has intensified. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sitting there like, no, that's what a leader does. That's because at the end of the day, 
Kerr can mess up. Paxton, Purdue, Longley, Kukoc, Armstrong, Grant. They all can mess up. It's going to fall on Mike. It falls on Mike. Yep. So Mike now has to make his team play at the level of where Mike's at. And they might not be able to do that. Scotty Burrell might not be able to do that. But what Michael is doing is he is making them like steel so they have the opportunity to play like the warriors and champions that they can be. You can't – you're only as good as your last game. Mm-hmm. And he felt that a lot of them were riding high off the three rings that they won prior, but you didn't play with me on those teams. So now I got to do the same thing that I did. And Jordan's very, very competitive. And you need that. Like that warrior spirit, that hustler mentality is going to elevate you and your team. It's going to like – so when I'm always around people that I work with, I always love to build up my, my, my group, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's about – you make it about them, but you set the precedent and you set the business model and the work ethic. And sometimes you're going to get a bit sarcastic and sometimes you're going to be a little bit of a heel and you might cut a promo. But at the end of the day, your intentions are to get them a championship ring, not just you. And that's what he does there. And I think, you know, as you get older, legacy is everything. And he has cemented his legacy as the greatest basketball player of all time. And that's my opinion. And now it's like, well, how is Michael Jordan the person? Mm -hmm. And I think that now has more of a lasting effect on him. And he's like, yes, well, sometimes you have to do and say certain things that you don't want to do. And you can tell in his face that he really regretted even 20 years later punching Steve Kerr in the face. But it also just goes to show that Kerr stood up to him and didn't care that he was Michael Jordan and still threw hands with him. And if anything, strangely, it always goes back to being a kid and being in the playground. No matter what, you dust yourself off and – you honestly become friends with the people that you fight with. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you see it so many times where like in, in, in MMA, right? Like I'm a big UFC guy. And Same. Right after, Me too. Like guys just talk so much shit to each other and sometimes it gets personal. But then once you go to war with them and you're in there for five rounds, it's like there's something about it where you earn that person's respect. Now, I'm not saying these guys were having, you know, jujitsu battles, but the fact that Kerr stood up to him was huge yeah it it shows him that like yo i could go to i could go to battle with this guy because he's not going to back down and he said that how you're not going to be able to go up against the pistons and the knicks at that time who were the bullies on the block if you're just going to be soft you got to be strong man and i think that's why you need a camaraderie case in point i love that you mentioned the ufc if you watched this past weekend 249 you saw cowboy versus showtime and they beat the snot out of each other and then at the end Pennis says, oh, no, that's my, that's my boy. I love him. Like, you know, yeah. that, like, you know we, we come in here. We do what we got to do. We slug it out. And then we just piece each other up afterwards. Because that's yeah. what it's about. It's about getting the business done. It's about testing. Like, all right, well, could you ride or die with me if, if need be? Yeah, it's, it's one of the more unique stories in this documentary about how that punch led them to that friendship which ultimately got him to three more championships. Now we saw the fourth one. And the last thing I want to leave you with, man, MJ, 
MJ tried so hard to, I feel like the game came easy to him at some points where he tried to, cause he knew he was so much better than everyone. And he would look for that little, little thing to make it a big thing, right? Like George Carl doesn't say hi to him at the restaurant. Right? <laughs> you, go, you go back a couple episodes and uh, Clyde Drexler is being compared to him. And he tells magic, like, you gotta see what I'm gonna do to this man. Right. It's just you constantly see the, the LeBradford Smith story that he completely made up yeah, just so he could dominate this dude in a regular season game in Washington. And I think with the, with the Magic, which was the first time during this Jordan aura of him being a champion, that he took an L in the playoffs. Now, I know, look, he didn't come back and have a whole regular season, and I understand that he was training as a baseball player, but that was something that was really, really – they, they put an emphasis on how that loss in 95 to the Magic, well, went back to the drawing board like he did with the Pistons, right? He loses that, to the Pistons, yep. and he's like, yo, I'm too small. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm frail. I got to put on some weight. So he starts working out. And then what does he do? The clip with his trainer, he's like, yo, look, I'll see you tomorrow. And then from there, 72 wins, greatest team of all time. Yeah, and then they're doing – if it wasn't for Space Jam, I don't think we would have got the Michael Jordan that, 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 that we've seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where Warner Brothers built that entire compound for Michael Jordan so that way he could work out and play pickup games with the best of the best because Michael had to get his legs back, you know. And I think that that, that loss to the Magic was probably just as hard-hitting, if not more, than the losses to the Pistons because mm-hmm. at least with the Pistons, you can say, like, you know, I'm, I'm this young upstart – you know, it, it's, it's taken me seven years, but I'm going to get to the promised land and my work ethic and my hustle are going to bring me here. You know, sometimes you get a little complacent and not saying that he did, but, you know, you win three and then yeah. you, you leave and you're burnt out and you're tired and you don't have the same hunger. And, you know, you want to try something that's a little bit different. So you want to go play baseball and, you know, it a lot of things weigh heavy on your conscience and you're thinking about your father and you're like, well, you know what? Basketball was always our thing. but Baseball was another thing that me and my dad loved. So now like I'm at this point in my celebrity where I could flex a different bit of muscle and go try to do this. So now for 21 months, you're playing baseball and then you, you totally have a different sinewy baseball body, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're like, oh, damn, now I got to go back to the physicality of playing basketball so now i got to rebuild my body again and get into that mentality you know where baseball is baseball is a team sport but it's also a one-on-one sport like you know you're facing the pitcher you know you're playing the defense so it's not really like you know a, a communal thing where basketball is a little bit different basketball is a team sport you're only as good as the next person you're with and you got to carry your weight so now you got to retransform your body back to a basketball body and your legs and the way you would move could be a little rusty it was it was you know even even the best even the best get rusty you know and so you saw that like the last half of that season in which he came back was starting to get his legs and that's when he suffered probably the biggest loss since the Pistons in his mind. And it's like, all right, now I have to go back to the drawing board. And I think that's why, you know, that summer when he was shooting Space Jam and he's getting up and he's shooting for 12 hours and then he's playing pickup games for three hours with the best of the best. And then he's working out later on and then he's going back to do it again. Yeah. He was like, all right, 
I want to see how good they have improved. And I need to see if I can still push myself to be the best and to be fearful. So I think it was, it was, it was all smart to have that compound and to do what he was doing that summer to take that summer to pull back and to go back into, okay, let's, let's train this way. And it worked because 72 and 10. Yeah, man. Cerebral assassin, dude. Just even, even when you look at the magic, right? Like Nick Anderson makes the comment, well, four or five isn't two, three anymore. Then he comes out the next game, gives him 38, and he and has Horace, that jersey. And Horace Grant said it. He, yeah. he, he saw him. He was like, why you got to say that? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, I think the one thing with MJ, too, is, and why I give LeBron a lot of credit, this isn't a comparison between the two. And it's like LeBron grew up in the social media era, mm-hmm. and we see all his mistakes, right? Like, God forbid this dude misses a free throw in the fourth quarter. He's the lead story on first take for a week. You yeah. Know? And with MJ, they show him that he was vulnerable and he was human, right? He gets stripped from behind. They make the analogy to Muhammad Ali. We're like, mm-hmm. yo, hold on. Someone just stole the ball from MJ and yeah. then they lose. But then again, going back to what happens with Michael Jordan and what made him so great. I don't want to call him petty, but like he didn't forget. And then the next year in the playoffs, bam, sweep. Get your ass out of here. Well, you know, it, it's like that. It's like that analogy. You know, they say that. Uh, you know, if you make God bleed, is he really a god? Mm-hmm. So you know, you take that for what it is, and then you yeah. got to go from. You got to go from there. You got to. You got to rebuild your God status. Dude, last question I want to ask you: If you could fantasy book, let's bring some wrestling into this. <laughs> if you could fantasy book a ten-part special on anyone in Henry. Uh, any sport let's let's keep it to sports and entertainment who would you pick and you, and you wanted wrestling or you just wanted like yeah, it, sports, could, it could be it could be wrestling it could be sports whatever you want um okay so without the wwe uh driving the narrative yeah like i, I don't want them to have a I, I want like some hbo shit done okay um i definitely think the rise and fall of wcw definitely needs to have that proper documentary because it starts off with, you know, red and yellow Hulk Hogan. And then it ends with the finger poke of doom. And then after that, it's just this downward spiral after that, you know, and, and it's like, well, how do they get from that to the NWO to that, you know? And I think that's a real interesting story to tell, you know? And, and yeah, I think a documentary like that would be great. I think a real deal documentary on Alex Rodriguez mm. and the whole steroid accusations for Alex, I think would, would really be riveting as a 10 part series. Um, I would love to see one on Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather and the hype behind that. I think that would be really good um, from a UFC standpoint. I would like to see one on John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. I think that would be a really good one as well because there's so much that goes into that and how parallel their careers were up until one point. And the definitive factor of why I think DC is probably better is because DC is a former UFC heavyweight champion. So I think that's a good one. Um, I don't know, man. There's a lot that I can see. If we could get a last ride, like a, a last dance type thing, I think those would be like the ones I would really sit and watch. 
Well, you kind of gave one away right there. You slipped up with the Undertaker one they just dropped. Which is oh, no. Crazy. Well, the Taker one's cool, but it's only one episode in. I want to see, like, yeah, the next yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I feel you. I feel you. You know what I mean? So I want, I want to see that. And if you're going to tell your story, you got to tell it right. And sometimes, yeah. you know, whatever goes on with the storytelling around them parts is a little, is a little revisionist and let's only tell one side. So you, you, you need all sides to tell a story. That's a fact. That's a fact. Guys, Emilio Sparks, please send them some love. One of my favorite people doing it. Oh, thanks, creating. man. Uh, you're the man. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you just inviting me on. Just to, It's very rare that I ever get to talk about anything other than professional wrestling or music. So so that that's the thing that I like doing with my show, bro. Like, especially with, um, like I mentioned before, the podcast and chill. Uh, it's the wrestling fan in me, bro. The storytelling. Like, right. I'm sure you've been asked, well, would you think of SmackDown? Like, All I the time. Some, I want to hear some shit about you. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I like to get to know the person. Because I always, the analogy I like to use, dude, is if me and you were to go to a bar, go hang out somewhere, and we were to hang out for two hours, we would never run out of things to talk about. So that's how I like to portray my show, where it's, I want to learn more about the things you're into other than what's like your main thing, you know? Oh, it's like very nice of you. So I appreciate your time. I'm a big fan. Like I said, tell the people where they can find you. Tell them Rassle Rap. Tell them all. The floor is yours. All right. So if you want to listen to one of the coolest professional wrestling music-based podcasts in the world, you can go to Rassle Rap. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on everything. Just type us in. W-R-A-S-S-L-E-R-A-P. We're also on Twitter and Instagram as well. You can tweet me, Grammy, snap me at Emilio Sparks, E-M-I-L-I-O-S-P-A-R-K-S. I have produced some cool things for WWE. I have, I'm the producer of Say Less for Kaz. I am the producer of the greatest wrestling podcast, a sports podcast in the world, Talking Shop, hosted by Rocky Romero, Carl Anderson, and Big LG, Luke Gallows. Again, all those things are all over the interwebs. Just search. Just Google. Google's your best friend. And just say hi. Talk to me about sneakers. Talk to me about MMA, some music personal inquiry work breath work whatever vegetarian veganism whatever man just say hi dude you're gonna have to come in studio when this quarantine is done when i get my actual studio set up oh look at you with the bells (laughs) usually you know like rogan got everyone posing with that that flamethrower there's the yeah there's exclusive this is vintage one of one right I would love to. I would definitely uh, love to. I'm holding you to that, my man. Guys, at Veterans Minimum is where you can find the show. At the Lamb Show is where you can find me. And we'll catch you guys next time. You think you got it, I got it for real. You think you got what I got? Uh, this one for those they forget in my city. This one for those they forget. Yeah. This dog off the leash and it's ready to kill. You think you got it, I got it for real. You think you got what I got? You think you got it, I got it for real. You think you got what I got? This one for those they forget in my city. your mail i'm coming for real taking that food right off of your grill nikki too ill can't let a drop of me spill clogging the lane i'm feeling the strain i'm here for the spot to be filled not to be cocky but all of you watching while i'm in the cup paying property bills
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.